probably go to it 10 times a day, but I've never been enticed to pay for anything. Yeah, me either. Do you uh, respect Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, I think they're... <coughs> Does Rotten Tomato Tomatoes give you, give you credits? Negative. No. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes yeah. just gives you reviews, critical and box office information. I, I avoid reviews like the play. But when you're going through like Netflix and you got a giant pile of what look like interesting movies, the only thing you've got to go on is the uh, the Rotten Tomatoes. No, because like it's point. aggregated, aggregated and and averaged. Uh, it's not just one person's you know opinion of the movie. So check this out. When you go to IMDb, oh, it must be the trailer. It was just playing. It was playing the editing scene. Did they do a second one of those? I don't think so. Oh. I'm thinking of Popeye, Popeye Doyle. There was three, uh, yeah, French Connections. Or at least two. French Connection, French Connection 2. I think there was a follow-up that related one, but not, didn't have the name in it. Did they finally get? The oh, there was the guy? Seven Ups. I think that was uh, some merch was re-recording. Merch Sounds was the post-production. Yeah, post-production re-recording. A friend of mine used to have uh, his office in the building where uh, Fantasy Studios was, which I think was part of Zoetrope. San Francisco. Somehow, somehow connected with Zoetrope. In in San Francisco or or in L.A. Berkeley, Berkeley. Okay. Fantasy had one of the nicest recording studios ever built. Did it utilize the live end dead end design? Yeah, it was back in the day when all that stuff was happening, but it was beautifully crafted. I I knew a guy who's a father of a friend of mine who hired this is like one of these like cryptic stories. You guys will probably build it. Uh, he hired the guy who in, invented live end dead end. And if you said his name, I, and, and his company was like acoustic analysis and design. So they would, you know, come into problem spaces, measure it, and then come back with, you know, how to fix it kind of uh, advice. But I can't remember the guy's name. That approach worked well with very large speakers when they used to put the big Westlakes or um, whatever, Altex that used to use in recording studios. But Everything kind of moved back to near field and big studios are now being replaced by uh, home studios. Chris, did your squirrel ever come back? Uh, you know, John, I've been away for a few days, so I, I haven't, I haven't seen it. Don, Don Davis, I believe is his name. 
He was the general in uh, SGI, Stargate. Probably. Oh, I loved, I loved that. A great series. One of my first binge watches ever. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and digital production. Our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And in light of the fact that most likely we're going to hear a lot about USDZ next week, we're going to talk a little bit about USDZ in the second hour. What is USDZ and how can we use it today? But more importantly, how can we use it tomorrow? So we'll be talking a little bit about that. So if you've got questions about USDZ, uh, definitely let us know, throw it into Makana. And if you've got general questions, go ahead and throw it into the first hour. Uh, just give, leave it as a general discussion. Uh, it's really great to have, you know, the this, this show gets done by your questions. You are the producers. So uh, ask those questions and make sure to vote on those questions so that we know which order you'd like us to, to take uh, as we answer all these questions. All right, go, let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Mitch, what do we got? Good morning, everybody. Our first question and well-voted question, I might add, uh, is from Tim Holm. In San Lorenzo, California, Tim asked, has anyone in this community compared the Osbot Tiny 2 to the Insta360? Are the similar enough that you could choose either? I go ahead, Chris. I have both. I've played with both. I think that the Osbot feels sturdier. I mean, it's certainly bigger and heavier. Uh, I think that there's some... Uh, Alex will explain the, the back-end reasons why the OBSBOT is more useful with some of the no, fancy are you, programming. Are you using the brand new one, the brand new OBSBOT? Oh, I just noticed Tiny 2. I am not. I'm sorry. No, I was just curious. I just wanted to... <laughs> um, it, does it have the same advantages with, like, all the back-end programming stuff that you do? I don't know if it has the advantages or not. The main thing is, is that the the earlier OBS bots are not competitive uh, with the co the quality of the of the camera. Picture, so the, yeah. the chip itself is not competitive. We think that I haven't had a chance to play with the OBS bot yet, so I don't know for sure as to whether it's competitive or not with the um, with the Link three hundred and sixty um, until we until we actually get it in in the office and put it up against some charts and look at what people look like. The big advantage that OBS bot has the newest one is that it has OSC um, control, so open sound control available to it. So you can control the camera with OSC, which means you anything that has OSC controls or it can talk OSC can can do that. You can think about, there's a lot of things you could do with that you know, if, you, if you have that information. So um, so the, we, we, we're excited about that. Uh, we're pressuring uh, Insta360 to follow suit, um, but right now they don't have an open API. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. I think the other thing I wanted to say, by the way, this hand gesture meant OSC. That was the kind of universal yeah, hand. The universal. Hand that it yeah. actually is. Yeah. You know, there's a. But but the other thing I wanted to say, and I heard this the other day on the show, and I wasn't on the show, so I can you know chime in. But I, I will say this: as an editor, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about oh, well, you take this camera and you can match, you know, color match it to this one. And yes, you might be able to. 
But I will tell you that as an editor, if you're going to shoot something with a bunch of cameras, use the same camera. Just use the same camera. Don't say, oh, well, this model and this model are close enough. Just use the same camera. You will make your editor so much happier. And, and I only bring that up because uh, could you choose either is Tim's question. And what I would say is maybe, uh, but, but choose one. If you're going to have multiple, choose one. You go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I think one of those uh, new versions from Obspot also has HDMI out, which would be very big, especially for anybody that's using the Insta360 Live. I'd like to see that. I don't think that the the new one has HDMI out. Uh, if it, uh, we'd have to look at it. I, I don't Saw think it, that. Yeah, when we were covering it at NAB, one of the versions of the Tiny 2 had HDMI. Well, one of the versions, but I don't think the new one that's 4K that, that, we're, that we're looking at in, in detail as HDMI out. So I, we do, I do think that an HDMI out as a second output would be a big deal. I agree with you on that. Uh, next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas asking, at Scriptation, is an Emmy-winning script reading and annotating app for going paperless among directors, cinematographers, producers, and writers? What is the use case? Go ahead, Courtney. I looked at it. It looks uh, pretty interesting uh, for... Uh, Script markup, it's uh, <clears throat> useful for people on the set to have if they want to take their script, uh, take in a PDF and mark it up for, it has tools that will automatically highlight a particular actor's dialogue. For example, if you're playing something in a in a film or television show, it'll automatically highlight all your, your dialogues. So you know when you're in a scene, it will let you do kind of uh, script, uh, script supervisor kind of things, let you draw lines vertically down through the script to, uh, and write uh, you know, handwrite little notes on, on it or maybe type uh, so that you can mark coverage on a script as you go. The main problem uh, I may, it may have, and it, and it has a means of distribution is security because these days uh, major productions are really hung up on security. They, um, they want you to, uh, you know, all of your scripts come in PDF format to all the crew members that need them. And they're all watermarked with your name emblazoned diagonally across every single page. So, because they don't want their scripts leaking out into the nether worlds of social media prior to, you know, its release of the film, the final film. So, security is the main issue. And if they have the security uh, sewn up, uh, that would be a good thing. If they don't, then I don't think it's ever going to make any, any uh, progress in the professional world unless they have it really locked down so that uh, your version of the script can't be viewed or sent uh, or printed or sent to anybody else uh, because they're really paranoid about the scripts getting out. So, But it looks interesting. It has some interesting features that uh, a lot of people need that used to use paper scripts, uh, you know, for that couldn't be done electronically. And then you could have a uh, an iPad on the set with your script on it. Yeah, I haven't seen, um, I, I admit I'm not in, in Hollywood uh, doing this and on sets, but in sets in uh, Northern California, I have not seen paper since COVID started. You know, like it, it is something shifted there about handing stuff out and everything else and people wanting to not, not touch things. Um, and everything here went, went paperless. And I don't know if the people that, I'm, that, that we've worked with are using scriptation or other ones, but they're all annotating everything on their on their iPads, you know, and they're and I they they they're very well I mean the script supervisors that we've worked with are that's all they're using and, and they've been using it now for years and and I I don't 
I think that it'll eventually take over. I don't know if it's this, this is the app that they're using, but I don't see any paper anymore. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it'll work with a P most of the PDFs I get are you are restricted uh, when you get it. We've been getting PDFs for the last I don't know, 10 years or so. Uh, but um, the problem is they're they are restricted. You can't edit them. You can't print them. You can't uh, do anything to them other than view them. Uh, I think you could annotate them. You could write uh, annotations on the top, but you couldn't save them. So that was a problem but, uh, for a while. Maybe they fixed that. But, uh, yeah, security ahead, was the main reason. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, I was on set a couple of weeks ago, and Sasha, our producer, in-house producer, she was taking PDFs uh, and annotating with her little Apple Pencil on the iPad. And it, it looked, again, I don't, it's not like Hollywood security we're doing crap but uh it was very useful i mean she was able to take all of her notes and take them into post and you know simplify the the post process next question from tim home in san lorenzo california tim's back with a question can anyone recommend a telestrator app that works on a pc with the wacom one bonus points for minimalistic or hidden interface i have to admit but I cannot remember the last time. Oh, well, I mean, I guess that Courtney might have something, but Courtney, you don't sell your software, right? So, so the only one that I, no, I was going to say, the person I know that does, that does uh, Telus one. Telestrator with a PC. I have one, but it's, uh, let me see, cut to it over the top of, oh, that's not it. And you made it yourself. It's not even just that you have one. I made it myself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's what it looks like. And you can hide the interface here. Uh, but, uh, I'll leave it up for now. Uh, but yeah, once it's hidden and you can draw in different colors and I can use the keyboard yeah. for changing colors, et cetera. It does everything Alex's does. Uh, but, uh, I forget how to hide there. Hide the, yep, but you just use the mouse. I wrote it in about, uh, 30 minutes. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> spend works. a lot of time. I there didn't spend a lot of time on it. So. Yeah. Good, good, Chris. Well, I was going to say, if you extend the definition of PC to personal computer, yeah, Alex's will work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know of any, uh, I don't know of any Telestrator apps. I mean, there's, um, there is a Telestrator app made by uh, TriCast. I mean, the um, NewTek makes one. That they have their own tel, or there's someone who makes one for the TriCaster, I believe. So if you do search for TriCaster Telestrator, it'll work with a couple other things. It does work on a PC. It's and I believe it. Yeah, and, and the other thing to note is that if you are using an iPad, even if you have a PC, I believe that if you have NDI there, you should be able to use a video pencil um, that uh, Michael Forrest does. So I think that you'd have to have an iPad, so it wouldn't work with a, with a Wacom One. Um, but yeah, I don't know of another, other than that, I don't know of which one, any anything else that's there. Um, Telestration has largely been, until we started talking about it here, I feel like it was really a, um, it was really something that was used in television. And there's Telestrator hardware, that does it, um, but I haven't seen it. And then people have like little whiteboards and drawovers, but usually they're pretty coarse. So, um, so anyway, so I, until I until we really got into it here, I, I have I haven't hadn't seen it very often. So we'll um, we'll see what happens. Next question, Douglas Carmichael asking: Is there any benefit to using a DNS-based ad blocker like AdGuard Home on top of a host-based ad blocker security application like AdGuard for Windows, Mac OS? There's a link to it. Go, Jason. 
I can't speak for AdGuard specifically, but DNS-based ad blockers are an excellent complement to like what you think of as active ad blocking. Two major benefits. The first one is that it will block the kind of tracking which occurs on devices where you can't necessarily interrupt the network stack, uh, mobile devices, that kind of thing. The second benefit is that... Um, it, it tends to block the more major um, kind of long data aggregators uh, because they tend to fail to produce. It's a little bit different than specifically blocking the things you see. Next question. Next one in from Hazmut Gajar in Cape Town, South Africa. I've got a two-screen Dex 4 in my medical event, one packed up or broke down. Uh, it's an SD app, talks to both SDs. Do not use SD app at all. Companion launches in one of the SDs, but not the one that has packed up. Packed up from Companion, not launching in SD. Advice? Yeah, I have never, I've never seen a Stream Deck um, fail. So I'm, 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 yeah, go ahead, Jason. I never have either, but um, I'll, I'll just get some of the obvious uh, ones out of the way. Be sure the firmware is identical, and yes, you may have to download the app again to make sure that it's you know that the firmware is set up, and then rescan the USB bus after completely removing um, the Stream Deck app. That's all I got. Yep. Next question. Tim Holmes, San Lorenzo, California, is back. Will the soon-to-be-released Telestrator app work on an iPhone? How would you control this with a Wacom One? It does not work on an iPhone. I mean, I I don't know if it ever will, but maybe, maybe someday. Uh, I'm not not focused on that right now. I, it just feels like a very small interface um, to to do that with. So I didn't I didn't really view it as a viable platform. Um, yeah. Next question. Liberty White in Atlanta, Georgia, asking, what is the best screen recording tool for a Mac M1? I recently saw a video that suggests QuickTime with Black Hole internal audio and Presentation Assist visible screen clicks. Uh, go ahead, uh, Jason. I've got to say I'd be inclined to agree. Um, there are some limitations, but it, it, it's kind of bizarrely solid and even was, you know, I think I'm one of my first or second, you know, post, um, post uh, what was it, Snow Leopard versions of Mac OS. So, yeah, not bad. Yeah, I, I think that um, the uh, – uh, it, it is – the – I'm – I'm sorry, I'm a little lost here while I'm trying to figure this out. Um, the, I would say that ScreenFlow is probably the best one out there on as a software device. Uh, so ScreenFlow um, is uh, made by Telestream, and it is very uh, d detailed. And, and the big thing is you can capture the mouse separately. <laughs> it, just turns, it seems like a really small thing, but the little capturing the mouse symbol separately and then may, being able to make it larger, smaller, it'll capture all your keystrokes so that you can, you can put them in as a layer so you can have them appear and disappear later inside of it. Um, and, and so it has a lot of features. It, it does suck up some CPU usage. And so you have to, so if it sits on top of something that is, you know, if you're doing some some basic stuff, it's not a problem. If you are doing, you know, something with a, a, a 3D renderer or, or video, sometimes you can see some of that. Um, now I capture almost everything I do on an outboard deck. I actually have this little um, pics that I, <laughs> that I still record to. Um, but because uh, I just like, I don't, it doesn't have any processor impact and I can just hit record and get ProRes out of it. But if I do hardcore training, I've moved to ScreenFlow because I need I need those um, I need the, all the all the tools that it has related to layering and and uh, keystroke capture. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I wanted to point out a little uh, trick about ScreenFlow. Uh, first of all, 
ScreenFlow is fantastic. I've been using it since the day it was released. Uh, there's a feature in there that's mine. I've mentioned this before in the past, but if you go into the settings of ScreenFlow and you click this little checkbox right here, startup launch ScreenFlow helper uh, at user login, and then you have to log out, log back in. Uh, what that'll do for you is when you uh, when your computer's running at any time, you can hit uh, I believe it's Command Shift Two, and it will initiate a ScreenFlow recording, um, and it will do so without launching the app. And the the beauty of that is ScreenFlow will not show up in your dock, it will not show up in the application switcher, and it will not show up in the um, menu bar. So it's completely non-intrusive, and yet it's still recording. It'll give you the countdown just like normal, and then just starts recording the, the helper app. And um, then when you're done, it will open up the app and let you save the file. The other thing that's nice about ScreenFlow is because it really just records the OpenGL data, I believe, I, I could be wrong about all this, but it records the data that draws the screen. It doesn't record the screen. Like what Alex is doing is just taking the output of the screen. So it records the data that draws the screen. And that's why you can change the size of the mouse pointer after the fact. You can turn off the mouse after the fact. You can overlay all the keystrokes like Alex mentioned after the fact. You don't have to burn that in. Um, it will also allow you to um, make the highlighted window larger and, and, and uh, gray out the rest of it. It's fantastic. It takes all that data and allows you to modify it after the fact. I, I absolutely love ScreenFlow. Yeah, and the main reason that I use it, I use the, I capture it with, is because oftentimes I'm doing this on top of it, what we talk, just talked about. So I'm drawing on top of it, so it has to go through my system for me to, to get it. And so I guess I could try to capture that as a separate, I could, I could capture that as a separate layer. I get it, Jason. Um, yeah, ScreenFlow is excellent. It has two things going against it for me. One, they figure out how to make you pay for it every year, and that just kind of annoys me at this point. Um, and the second part of it is that um, when you capture a long screen recording, because, for example, to Fenwick's point, the mouse is actually just only recording a series of XY coordinates. That's it. That's all it's recording so that it could be rendered after the fact. Um, you end up with an incredibly long period, at least long for me and my lack of patience, um, when you're having to render it and change things around. That said, it's excellent. Go ahead, Chris. You know, Alex, what you could do is you could take the output of your um, Telestrator and record it into the ScreenFlow document as the camera, because that's the other thing you can do, uh, yeah. Liberty, is you can record your camera, whatever camera you select, as a separate layer. Okay, so yeah. and then you can edit that separately. You can say, "Oh, I want to slide the camera in it when I talk about this, and I want to slide it out," yeah. because it's recording into the file as a layer. You could record your Telestrator as a layer, possibly. God, I have two cameras. That's what I need is two cameras. Then I'd have the layer and me. You are looking for a Telestrator for M1 Max Ultra mm -hmm. Plus. <laughs> Next question from Alex Forty Gallner in London, UK, asking. Apple is might introduce new rules for their iPhone, iPad, Watch, and Mac stores at WWDC DC next week. How likely are third-party stores or stores with existing Apple apps? What about plugins and templates? I go ahead, Courtney. Well, in your neighborhood, they may be available this year. Um, on, probably only in the EU because that's where they're being sued for monopolistic practices. So, um, 
since that's where the lawsuit is, that's where it's first going to be rolled out. The problem that I think is going to be is whether or not um, Apple is going to uh, somehow dip into the pocket of the developers that that make their stuff available on third-party stores or not, and whether the third-party stores are going to, what the VIG they're going to charge versus 30% for the Apple store. So, uh, and the other thing is security that you got to have to worry about for third-party stores. I imagine all the scammers out there are going to be um, scraping those programs off of the Apple store and putting them on third-party stores and adding their malware to them since uh, I don't know who's going to be checking uh, each application available on a third-party store for malware if they want to exist for very long. Uh, the third-party store, of course, will have to do the same thing Apple does. But um, uh there there could be many scams since nobody's going to police them in any way. So I'd worry about that. There you go, Jason. Uh, yes. Thank you, Dutch hookup apps. Um, Apple will give them exactly and only what needs to be given to them. And um, as far as broad adoption, I can't say impossible, but just because it's rolled out doesn't really mean it's going to affect um, anything you do, Alex, for a very long time. Yeah, the the funny thing is, is that uh, you know Google has you can put your own store on Google. It's just that nobody uses it, or almost nobody uses it um, because it's crap. It, well, uh, clean show. Uh, it is. Um, uh, they the, the the issue really is is that that's, that's even Google users who are much more geeky than Apple users. I mean, iPhone users are just not going to be that interested. I don't think. And I think that I think it'll only come out in the EU if it comes out. I don't think they're going to announce it at WWC. They're all excited. This is not something they're excited about. I think it will come out without with almost no fanfare. The only reason they announced it earlier was because the United States was looking at building similar laws. And by announcing that they were doing this thing, they didn't it, it basically blunted um, they blunted that legislation. Um, so, so I think that you're probably going to, and now the, the weather has changed and it probably won't be any more legislation or any, anytime soon for, for Apple. So, so it had, their announcements earlier were more of a tactical thing, whether they actually announce it for the world, they might. Um, but I think what it will accompany is probably a lot of PR related to how dangerous doing that is. Um, I think that it's very unuser friendly. Um, you know, so I, I think it's very friendly for rich companies who are the the, one, the only ones that will really benefit from this are are wealthy companies. Um, so it's the rest of them. I mean, so this is a rich person's <laughs> this is a rich person's game. Uh, Epic and other people who make hundreds of millions of dollars want to make more, and they don't want to give it to Apple. Uh, if you're an individual developer, not good for you because it, it reduces trust in the platform. If you're a user definitely not good for you. And so they're taking, they're basically the big rich companies are trying to step on the little developers and the little and the users um, so that they can make more money. That's what this is all about. And the EU doesn't care because they don't have any developers of their own. <laughs> and, I don't, and I mean by developers, I don't mean individual developers, but they don't have they don't have Facebook, they don't have Googles, they don't have any of those things. So they can make all these laws and it doesn't affect anything locally because no, none of the big companies are their own. Um, the, I think the biggest thing they have is Spotify. Anyway, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was just going to warn you, if as, a, as an Android user for many, many years and, and also taking advantage of sideloading programs into the Android universe there, uh, be careful of third-party stores, I'd say, once once they open the walled garden a little bit in Europe to let this in. I would, uh, if I'm going to sideload an app that uh, is uh, only available outside the uh, Apple store, 
then I would make sure I download it directly from the manufacturer's website rather than uh, from any store that is offering to sell it. Because and the big problem is and, and the big problem is is that as users, what the reason it's really going to affect us is because the you know the Facebooks and the Epics are going to build their own stores and then make make all of that content exclusive. So users, Apple users, will eventually could potentially be forced to if they really want that content could be forced to uh, to to go in you know go into a third install a third party store that's less that's less secure because they really want to use Facebook or some of the apps that are in Facebook or they really want to use you know as, as if if this starts to splinter it's not good it's good for the rich companies who want it it's just not good for the user um it's it's a it's a horrible user experience and so um so hopefully you know this will die a horrible death and i i think apple what what they should do is put it out as a test in in Europe not try to police it at all um and just let it do what it's going to do which is rip apart rip itself apart in the in the system and then never have to really do anything that it'll end the conversation in the United States by allowing it to destroy itself um, in the uh, in the EU. And then the EU also look like idiots, which they are. Uh, anyway, next question. I just saw this pop up uh, this morning on my computer. Deity is marketing their new timecode slate, the TCSL1, as a world's first timecode smart slate that's syncable via Bluetooth phone app. Uh, what do you think? Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Uh, I'd have to wait to be seen, you know, but whether it, it's a stable time base coming off of the phone app or not, if the phone is connected to GPS, then it might be accurate and stable. Uh, I'd more trust also built into this TC. This is what it looks like. Uh, this new TC uh, one slate is a, uh, a local Bluetooth sync so that people within 30 feet or so are uh, devices enable devices uh, within 30 feet or so of the slate can jam sync each other uh, on just in the local Bluetooth low power area. But uh, using the app on a phone, I'd worry about uh, the phones, if it uses the phone's time base, which comes from the carrier, uh, normally that's uh, synced to GPS, but at the carrier site. So I'm not sure how well in sync that's going to be with a general time base. Uh, if you want to put everybody in sync to the satellite, as yeah. opposed to locally jamming them and running them with local oscillators on each individual device. I think the interesting thing also is that the price price point is pretty close to a Deniki. <laughs> Like once I once I get to a thousand dollars, I'm kind of like, I might as well buy a real slate. Like I mean, I, I don't mean that deity's not a real slate, but I mean I'm just saying I might as well buy a traditional slate that I know will keep time code the entire day. Uh, you know, it seems like a it seems like something that wouldn't necessarily uh, it, the price is if, it, if the price was three ninety nine or four ninety nine, I think it would be a different conversation. But of course, it's hard to make them inexpensive. Yeah, go according. Yeah, it's a, it's a thousand bucks. It's about the same price, a similar price to the. Yeah. So the I Denikis, think Denikis a little bit more. It's like $1,300 or $1,400 yeah. or something like now that. Now these yeah. days, an ambient makes a slate too yeah. that uh, is equivalent. Um, now you've made me forget what I was going to say. I was worried about, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> oh, 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 yes. Uh, it's great. It's great for time of day. If it's going to be pulling its time base from uh, GPS, it's great for time of day. Uh, accuracy, but a lot of people on set, a lot of sound mixers I know, are generally are the keepers of the uh, master timecode clock on the set. Um, like to set uh, 
set their time code as time of day so it runs continuously, but they like to start the day with the first hour of the call so that they know the time code slate if uh, shows the production day time, which is not real time. So if you're not using real time, then that might be a problem for you. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, there are now communities of music producers that are using AI models to clone specific celebrity singing voices. If Apple built an AI voice cloning feature into Logic, would it be well-received or would the labels try to kill it? Code Courtney. I think there's going to be a lot of pushback on this. Uh, remember how, what a big deal Millie Vanilli was when they exposed them? You know, just imagine what it's going to be when they, uh, when your favorite new pop singer turns out to be just a uh, collection of, you know, computer generated bits from other singers. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it, I, I don't think that there's going to, I think there's going to be a lot of sensitivity. Apple's probably not the company that's going to try to do this, um, you know, inside of logic. Uh, it's, you know, they're not going to take that chance. There's no reason they don't, there's no upside for them. They just ruin their relationships with a bunch of people, but you'll see a lot of people building things that look like it. Go ahead, Chris. Millie Vanilli. I met one of the singers from Millie Vanilli, not, not the, not Millie or Vanilli, but one of the real singers. It was a woman. I met her on a plane flying to Vegas. Fascinating story about how that all happened. <laughs> we, we should have her on. Like you got, did you, did you, did you get a, did you get a contact? Yeah. Jody Rocco. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, let's have her on. Let's have her on. I, I will reach out to her. Reach out to her. It'd be great. It'd be fun. I bet you she's not, I bet she's just outside of any NDAs or anything else. You can probably talk about it. Oh, she's way outside of NDAs. I know. Yeah. So let's have her on. Let's have her on. I will reach out to her right now. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Next question. Wait, this second hour? This second hour? Like in no, 20 no, no, minutes? No, 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 no. no, no. I mean, oh, another day. Another day. Okay. We'll schedule her. We'll schedule Because I, I could probably get her in the next 30 minutes. If, you're if, if you get her in the next 30 minutes, we'll put her on. Like the USDZ is important, but I mean, we have someone from Millie Vanilli. So so I, I I put her on in the next 30 minutes, but but we'll just her schedule her. And we'll her schedule sister her. were in Holland trying to break into the music. She's uh -huh. actually still a singer. And she was like down the hall and they brought her in. It, oh it's gosh. a great story. That's great. Um, a quick reminder that you can uh, you can ask questions um, in, uh, in in Makana right now. It's a good time to to throw those in uh, for the first or the second hour. So if you've got questions about USDZ uh, or or questions about um, uh, general questions, go ahead and throw those into into Makana right now. Also remember to vote on them. Uh, it helps us figure out which ones to ask next. All right, let's go to the next question. Go ahead, Mitchell. James Fossling from Minneapolis, Minnesota, asking. A scheduled Zoom update mentions support for name pronunciation in the profile card. Have we learned any suggestions to make this work? Foss like moss, lean like lean meat. I don't know if I if, if we've learned anything. Um, I, I do recommend it. So if you're if you're watching right now, it, it'd be great to um, if go ahead and you can put that into your if you open up your I guess in your phone the, the little hamburger in the upper right or uh, your profile on the web page. Uh, you can add your pronunciation, and it does help us a lot. So please do it. Next question. And it's from Bart Gaffney in Economawak. And uh, the question is, suggestion for an iOS teleprompter app to use with Zoom. You know, there's a lot of iOS teleprompter apps. Um, I don't, I have to admit, because I, I still use computers for, for my teleprompting, I'm not sure which ones to actually use. Go ahead, Jason. Prompter People's version, um, the one that is substantially scaled down for iPad, is is actually pretty good. It's not incredibly cheap, but um, it's probably the cheapest thing they make. 
uh, next question. From Douglas Carmichael, how do you think Apple creates the annual AR experience for WWDC? Uh, with a lot of artists. <laughs> you know, like the, you know, usually when you look at those things, those are kind of spared no expense. There, there's a whole team that's really uh, working on the AR solutions. And so internally, they're constantly trying to figure out how to make them better. Um, and uh, one of the places that they do that is usually around these events. So I'm, I'm, it's it's a pretty robust team that puts that puts puts that stuff together. There's a mixture of how do you build the models, how do you surface the models, how do you get them into the system, how do you uh, deliver them, what the idea is. Um, so yeah, so those are uh, typically how that happens. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, the same answer um, that Robin Williams gave when um, he asked, "How do you get to the Met? Money. That's how." <laughs> uh, next, next question. Tony Mobley, Noonan, Georgia. Is there enough difference from the iPhone XS Max and the 11 Pro Max for my primary camera going from two lenses to three? Uh, yeah, I mean, the third lens is, I think, the, I mean, when you, when you go through it, I mean, there's a lot of other things in that camera, but the third lens, I believe, is the ultra, is the 0.5, uh, which I love. So the 0.5, you know, um, wide angle or fisheye, almost fisheye, uh, is a, it's such a great lens, you know, like so, and, and my kids use it probably more than I do. They, they have, uh, my, it's funny, you hand, my kids have the 12s and they, um, the 12 pros or whatever, and, and my older ones that I was using for testing. And, and they, uh, they know how to do things with that camera that I've never, like they have a very specific positions and, and facial expressions and everything else. If you just hand it to them, they'll be like, Woo! and they take this very specific picture. It's, a, it's, it's funny to watch. It's a culture within uh snap and within you know other you know kids you know they they evolve much faster than we do and so they they have a whole culture of photos and how you send photos to your friends and all the things that you do and it's kind of an amazing thing to watch um kids with with uh with uh, cell phone cameras <laughs> so so anyway uh so but i i think the third lens i use the 0.5 all the time so I, i'd recommend it next question douglas carmichael asking one thing I like about the Dell PowerEdge service is their beautifully thought-out chassis design and management interface, the iDRAC. What enterprise server brand do you prefer working with? Go ahead, John. I was a Dell partner back in the day and spent millions of dollars on servers and for the Dell PowerEdge line. They're fantastic, but I haven't owned a server in 15 years now. Everything I have is in the cloud. You go, Jason. Ditto what Preto said. Um, the, Lenovo did a fair number of decent ones, but I don't think anyone's ever quite approached that that design that Dell came out with after you know millions and millions of dollars of, of iteration. Mitchell, a big fan of HP, Hewlett Packard. They look great. They work great. Next question. Next question from James Haldane in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Is there an alternative option, hardware or software, that we should explore besides using the NDI HX camera app in Android to capture a segment of an event considering the line of sight challenges we're facing with our three camera positions? Yeah, I'm, I'm just, um, I mean, the... Yeah, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is if you're using, if you're trying to do this all with um, phones or whether you're using cameras for that, you're using the camera app, you have three camera positions. And so I'm not sure what kind of cameras you're using. So that, that would be the thing that, you know, what I would say if you're having line, 
you know, line of sight issues or, or those types of things, you may want to start moving to a real transmitter, like real cameras and real transmitters, um, you know, so a Teradek bolt or something like it, is, you know, with a real camera is going to get you what you need um, once it's set up. So, so think about something like that. Next question. Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas, has a question. What's up with the A.AI domain names? How do you uh, get the best deal on one and what registrar do you use? Go ahead, John. The .ai is uh, is a top level domain for from Anguilla, which is uh, a little island out in the Caribbean. Um, that's one reason why it's expensive. The other reason why it's expensive is because of demand. Just simple <laughs> demand. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, just a, a quick add on to that. Um, TLDs, there's a lot of confusion about this. Any organization that can demonstrate to um, ICANN that they have the resources um, and the bankroll can basically submit for a TLD. And after that, they own it and they get to decide which um, domain name registrars get to um, get to in turn sell it. That's why you can't get every TLD from every domain name registrar. Good, Chris. Yeah, uh, for the record, I am working on .fenwick as a TLD, and uh, it's going to be available. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you posted. Officehours.fenwick. Uh, another quick reminder, you can ask questions in the first hour or the second hour, so um, so go, go ahead and throw those questions it's in. It's got a ring to yeah. it, doesn't it? It does, it does. Uh, general, uh, general questions for the first hour, or you can ask about USDZ in the second hour. Let's go ahead and jump into the next question. Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California, wants to know, when doing a show with remote TDA1 and graphics operator, how exactly do you bring these people into the system, and how do they monitor the show? Cutting the mix effect. You know, Gordon, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, uh, the first show that I did back in a studio that I work in a lot, it was still like summer 2020, uh, we took apart the control room. And we put the audio in one room, we put the switching in a room, and we, you know, we, we literally like separated all the people out of a room. When we did that show, um, I recommended that we all join a little side Zoom meeting just so we could have eye contact with each other. And, I, and I'll tell you, as a director, I really like knowing that when I say, hey, stand by to roll tape, I could see that the guy's hand is like on the button. I even said, hey, can you zoom your camera out a little so I can see your, your gear? Um, that being said, although we were just down the hall from each other for, you know, uh, COVID reasons, I would do the exact same thing if we were across, you know, across oceans and stuff. Just open up a Zoom room for all the crew and let them be there. You can put the multi-view in that Zoom room. Everybody can see all the feeds that are necessary. That's how I would do it. Yeah, it's funny. When we started, we did exactly what Chris was talking about, which is that we, you know, we separated all into we had these offices. And so the TD had their own office and the A1 had their own office. And we had engineering another office and we had another office for graphics and, and we wanted to keep everybody separate. So if someone got COVID, we wouldn't have to close the whole system down. Um, that definitely grew to the TDs or wherever they want to be in the, and like we, we, what happened was we had a TD not available and we we're like, well, how do we get you know, Nate to come in from Salt Lake City and and cut a show. And before we knew it, we had Nate cutting the show. And then we just got used to Nate cutting shows from Salt Lake City. Like, like it became very clear because Nate, a, a good example is he's a TD that has a, he has a control board. He can tie it in. Um, uh, we have, 
you know, and then we have, uh, you know, oftentimes Brian Maddox or Mickey or other folks, you know, coming in remotely to to handle those things remotely for us within our system. What makes that work is the VPNs. So we use VPNs so that everybody can, you know, everyone's part of the same network. Um, so we're, you know, so we use um, either, you know, typically either software or hardware Meraki's. If you're tying in a, a board, it's easier to send somebody a piece of hardware, a Meraki, you know, piece of hardware so that they can connect to the network. Uh, it's not that you can't do it with software, but it's a lot easier to do it with the hardware. If you if you're tying hardware in, is to have um, a router that's part of the the overall system um, embedded into the into that. And then of course everyone sees Zoom. Um, sometimes they need to re- see you know hear see and hear more than that. But typically Zoom, um, and then also we might use. Uh, Unity Connect, which is going to um, be, you know, we use Unity for comms right now. Um, we use, uh, or ClearCom, uh, so we have, depends on what we're doing, but either ClearCom with, um, or or Unity uh, Unity comms, along with Unity Connect, that allows us to send more channels out, you know, so we can, we can pass those. If we're using ClearCom, we can actually tie those channels into the comm system and be able to push those out as well. So that, that becomes really useful um, for us to be able to listen to those things. And so, so those are all the things that we start to spread out, but once you get spread out and you start doing it as a, as a larger uh, group, and I think there's going to be more talk about this on Friday, you get kind of used to it and you're like, why are we bringing people in? You know, and if you have a solid internet connection, you have solid power, we have primary and backup and you have, you know, a lot of the infrastructure that you need, uh, it works really well. We've done some very complex shows with a lot of cues, with uh, a lot of graphics and some people are playing it back at locally and some people are remote. Um, in some cases, it, if it's something new, we might bring them into the office, you know, like, and there's certain cases where it's harder. Like for instance, we had an EVS operator and the EVS operator, we brought the EVS into our office because we just couldn't figure out exactly how to run that remotely because it's really built to be run by a person sitting in front of it. But those are the kind of things, those are minor, um, you know, pieces there. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, just thinking, how does a workflow work with that, Alex? If you have a TD and he has an actual board, is it like a ROS with some kind of middleware software, and then you have a ROS at the other end? Well, Does we have work? the we, yeah we have the Blackmagic. Uh, you know, we're using um, just the the eight the constellation, so the ATEM constellation eight K, and then um, Nate has a an actual ATEM panel, and then we have a Meraki. Um, I think we usually I think we send I think for most people we send them a Z three, which is a um, it's the smallest Meraki you can get because it doesn't have to push a lot of data. And once you plug that in, it's just a router and you can plug switches into that or you can do whatever you want. But everything that sits inside of that is delivered as if it was in the same subnet. So it's it's basically created, it's created a, a tunnel that has it act like it's in the network, inside the building. And um, and then everything else, everything kind of just works after that, you know? And so you just plug things in, they just get, they get local IP addresses. Uh, same thing if I turn on my VPN here in my house, I can, um, I just ta- type in the local uh, IP for the um, the the AJA, you know, the, our FS2s and and those and the const like the constel our constellation in the office will just pop up on my screen when I open up the software. In fact, it's a problem for me because I, I get that one instead of my the one that I'm supposed to be using, which is the one here. So so it um, it, it just becomes you're just part of that larger network after that. If you if you've got in a good internet connection, go ahead, Chris. I really have to learn how to do all this stuff. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention was that. Um, Recently, I went back and did a about a week at a, a South Bay company um, directing a bunch of stuff, and uh, we were in a more traditional setup, you know, rows and rows of tables and people and bears on my. And uh, 
you get so accustomed to being able to glance over at a gallery and say, oh, he's paying attention or, hey, do you understand what I'm saying? And being able to see people eye to eye that the idea of going back to just communicating with words over comms seems uh, barbaric. It's crazy. The just commu- Oh, because you were taught, you were seen. Well, because I was, I was at a traditional site, you know, mm-hmm. where I don't, like, I can look at you and I can talk to you while we're talking. I can tell one, oh, he's bored. He wants me to shut up. Two, <laughs> he's interested in what I'm saying. He sees the humor in what I'm saying. Like, like those little, uh, yeah, thanks, Courtney. Uh, those little nonverbal communication cues that we give people when we communicate with them. And being in a, in a traditional setup with a, just a bunch of people talking on comms where I can't see their face, it just seemed completely backwoods to me. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I work on so many like really large productions that we rarely see very many people when we're talking to them. You know, so it's, it's a pretty rare thing. You know, if I'm on a, you know, on a big event, you know, uh, 90% of the event is on comm somewhere in the building. I don't know where they are. And so I don't, I guess I don't think about it that much because I don't, th- I don't, we get on comms and, and we don't, oftentimes we're not, we're barely looking at each other, you know, in, in our systems because we're so spread out, you know, over I, a system. So we're not. I understand. And that is the traditional way that we've all worked. But in the last couple of years, working with people over Zoom, I've gotten very. Oh, I see. You're, com- you're I've using- gotten very comfortable with the fact that I can see that you're listening to me. I can see that you understand right. me, not just over at this. I'm using this uh, old phone, uh, mm-hmm. Bakelite uh, hand gesture as as comms. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is, being able to see people while I'm communicating with them is so far superior than just being overcomes. I get it. That's the way we always worked. I would prefer working with people over Zoom. Yeah, I think that the hard part is we have so many screens up already. I mean, we don't, we just don't, there'd be another screen that we manage. And and so it's it's interesting. Yeah, we haven't, I haven't done that very much. You know, I, I have to admit that we rarely open up a, a video window to that process, but it's an interesting thought. Um, next question. Christian Cordy from Falls Church, Virginia, asking, Jaron Lanier once stated that VR emphasizes the beauty of real life. Doesn't the panel agree with this sentiment? And do you think that AI has a similar effect on handmade content? Go, John. Jaron Lanier is quite a character. I was the dealer for SGI for Southern Nevada. So we would bump into Jaron from time to time. Um, what, what's going to happen is you're going to bifurcate stuff into in, and uh, there's going to be the generative, computer-generated stuff. And then there's going to be the handmade stuff. And that will be like uh chris doing his little artwork over at etsy over there a little handmade work <laughs> ahead, and all courtney. the good stuff will be generated by the ai go ahead courtney i don't know you might look at this i, I kind of look at it as uh, cgi and films you know you first it looks really cool and you really like it and then it becomes oh that's just cgi yeah. becomes blase and you you want to see something real again as opposed to seeing everything blow up and explode and crash into buildings and fall in. You know. So I, I long for the reality again. So it can make you appreciate, uh, you know, actual reality versus virtual reality. Yeah, I think that it, it, it definitely, um, I think that I find anything that's mass produced, there's a certain value to doing something by hand that people really like. 
you know, this, this kind of hand created thing, you know, like my, uh, my my daughter makes um, thank you cards and Christmas cards and birthday cards, and she literally just buys blank cards and then she just draws this thing on fr- on the front of it, and it is as good as a Hallmark card. I mean, it, the quality of it is as good as a Hallmark. She's a very talented artist, and I guarantee that everybody keeps those. <laughs> you know, the ones that you send them that they just throw away because they have no value. But there's something about it that has this. Beyond just that, that she did it, it's that it has a certain feel to it that that feels real, and I think that there is a value to that that gets that gets increased by the fact that so much of it is is done automatically. Go ahead, Chris. I think ultimately what we what we will begin to see uh, more and more, and we are we already see it, is that humans relate to humans better than humans relate to machines, um, and this happens with any sort of handmade craft. Um, If you take the time, you take the breath, and you look at the difference between a handmade cabinet and something that comes out of a computer, you know, in an Ikea factory somewhere in Sweden, it feels different. It is different. It's the same thing with beer, you know, like beer from a giant brewery versus, you know, Preto, your, your friend that has his own, you know, tiny brewery in his third bedroom at his house. I mean, people like things that are handcrafted. And I think the reason why we're drawn to it, if we take the time, not everybody cares. Obviously, not everybody cares. But when you take the time to appreciate it, there is definitely a type of person that's going to be drawn to that. And I think that it will be the same with everything, always, forever. There's people that love a good, low-budget, very traditionally made film over the Hollywood tentpole, you know, Marvel comic superhero CGI fest. Good, Mitchell. Yeah, I want to add to what Chris was just saying. I watched uh, John Wick 4 last night and the body count, it looks like they were just trying to go for body count, which was kind of uncomfortable because you get clenched up and there's no break in the action to allows you to recover and then breathe a little bit and get back into it. So with CGI making it even easier to do that, at what point is it too much? And I think they've already exceeded that particular area. Um, I'm I'm longing for practical stuff, practical effects, practical battles uh, that have a build up and a conclusion, and it's not just all whiz bang. Uh, how many ways can you kill? Yeah, I think that a lot of times when people say that, I, I always talking to effects artists, for instance, what people call practical in a lot of things are just really good visual effects. You know, really good CG effects. The problem is, is that most of them are not really good. You know, they don't, uh, most of the CG effects fall short because they're just not that last little bit added because there's so many shots and there's so much to get done. And, you know, there's, you know, so people just run out of, they run out of runway um, or they just don't have somebody poking at it hard enough at the very end to get that last little bit. Because there's a lot of things that when you see what was CG, you're like, wow, I thought that was all practical. And, but it's because they put that last little bit in to make sure the physics work, to make sure the lighting work, to make sure the composites work. I mean, when you look at like how people shoot green screen, um, the green screen generally behind them is horrible. And that means they have to roto it, which means all, means all the edges are just a little soft, you know, or a little clean compared to what they were if they were, you know, but if you take the time to get that right, it, it, it works. Jason? 
Yeah, the inverse of that, of course, is also true. If you do have a James Cameron who's just monomaniacal, you end up with extremely yeah. old films like T2, where they, they actually pre hold up pretty well. Well, and, and even all CG stuff. I mean, if you look at Avatar, even Avatar 2 and even Avatar 1, but Avatar 2, man, does that CG look good. Oh. Like it's, it's CG, but it looks real. Um, next question. Next question from Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. Question is, uh, are there downsides to investing in the all-in-one ATEM television studio, HD8 ISO, versus individual ATEM components? Good, Courtney. It kind of depends on how you work. If you're going to marry yourself to this uh, uh, all-in-one where, you know, all your inputs and outputs are coming into your control surface here because this is what the back end of it looks like. You're going to have a very messy table because you're going to have to bring all those inputs and outputs into that switcher. And you're not going to be able, you know, if you have to suddenly move your switcher to the right three feet because somebody else wants to sit at the table or at the desk uh, producer or something, you're going to have big problems because you can't move it. If you're using a situation where you're putting it in and tearing it out on a day-to-day -day basis, it might work for you, you know, for a corporate stuff, you know, you're in a different venue every day. It might work, or it might work in a permanent installation if you're building a permanent control room. But you're putting all your eggs in one basket, and I prefer to have a rack-mounted uh, constellation and the control service if you want that digital control surface that just connects over an Ethernet cable. Makes it a lot easier. You can move your control surface around and move it to another room if you need to without having to relocate all of your cables. So uh, there is a disadvantage in that. Yeah, yeah, I think that the um, uh, uh, dealing with, I would, just the GAC is really the problem. Go ahead, Chris. I totally agree. Uh, Courtney, you hit the nail on the head when you said if you have to move it a couple feet down the desk. I mean, that alone. A friend of mine just bought one of these. He's he's responsible for building a, a new studio for a, um, we'll call it a South Bay database company. Can you guess? Uh, and... Um, are they building bought, another studio? He Sorry. bought he bought this thing, and I was like, uh, I absolutely would not have bought it. I, it. I mean, if nothing else, if you go for the panel and the rack uh, switcher, you can easily upgrade. You can get the 2ME. You can upgrade it to the 4ME. You can upgrade it to the Constellation. And I think you get to use the same controller, uh, right, for any one of those switchers, and you're just yeah. going to run one, one I mean, the advantage is cost. I think that's the only real advantage is cost. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're, I think it is just cost. <laughs> like, I don't think that you're buying anything else. I, I immediately write off all the switchers that have, that have all the wires going into the back of them because I'm just like, oh my gosh, like how do I, I don't even have a process for that. Like, I don't know how I would manage that. Now, I think that there are some cases, a lot of times those switchers are less than 19 inches wide, which means they can slide out. So if you put them in a in a um, rack, you can slide them into a sliding rig. And you, we do that with um, some of, there's the, the X32 producer uh, version uh, has, uh, it will slide in and out on a rack. And we've had those in the past. So you can, there's, there, you could theoretically rack mount it and then have it in a rack and pull it out. And maybe that's the way to use it. And, and I think that when people get started and they're not, they haven't built a lot of these and they haven't done this in a lot of places, They'd be very tempted to have them. Oh, it's great to have the the switcher in in the same place. But as soon as you do this for a little while, you don't want that at all. Like you don't want you want all of your 
because you have to all you have all the route you have the router and all the routing and everything else and you have everything you know in a nice little place and you open it up and all you have to do is connect it with an ethernet cable when it comes to setup and everything else it is and because you don't here's the problem is you don't want to have people plugging plugging SD, the sdi into the back all the time so every time you go to a new location you don't want people doing that because it wears down the sdi connections on a rack we have that you know going out to a convenience panel that people collect, you know, connect. So they're all connecting to it. If they destroy that convenience panel or someone steps on it or it gets caught in a forklift or not that any of those things have happened to me, um, they, it, you know, it will destroy the, it'll pull the rack a couple, if a, if a forklift catches one of your cables, not that that's ever happened, and yanks on it, it will rip that SDI right out of the, out of the thing. And if you had that to a convenience panel, which I did, you just simply, it's like a five minute problem. If you if you do that to your switcher, uh, the switcher now has one less channel if it's still working. <laughs> so, it's so it's like, you know, you're not gonna problem. get a fix. It's a bigger problem. So, so all those things drive you back towards wanting a rack. And um, yeah, I, I do, not, do not like connecting those things. I, I kind of write those off almost immediately. Next question. Christian Cordy in Falls Church, Virginia. With a question, do you expect Apple to refresh their game development tools, Xcode, SceneKit, SpriteKit, in preparation for VR games? I find SceneKit to be very clunky to use. I go ahead, Jason. All right. I'm not going to say just simply yes. Um, yes, but also um, the, the moves that they've made behind the scenes in the last five years or so really are just kind of going to come and harmonize and, and all going to click together. So the answer is yes, but it's not like it's only this time. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, it's an update. Uh, I think I think we'll see what happens. I mean, nobody knows what Apple's going to do next week, but I have a feeling it's going to be probably one of the most consequential WWCs that we've seen in maybe a decade. So maybe not since iPhone. I'm not going to say ever because there's been iPads and iPhones and other things, but the last big release was the watch. <laughs> so so anyway, so I think that I think we have some, maybe the M1s and stuff like that, but this is going to be a pretty big update if they do a headset. It means they had to update all kinds of things um, to make that work, and, and they're going to keep on building that out. The next, you know, if if there's a, I mean, Apple has to play hard. They can't can't really afford to fail uh, in this area. So I have a feeling that you're going to see an enormous amount of push once it comes out the door. Uh, if if there's a VR headset, we don't know if there is. Maybe this whole thing has been a bunch of hype, and and it's just going to come out, and they're going to go. And now we have USDZ for Keynote. Um, that might be the big, the big release, which actually will I have would more love impact. That. By the way, have more impact on on what we do than 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 um, than the headset most likely in the next two years. But um, but I th I think there's probably a headset floating around in there. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, with their VR AR headset that's rumored to be coming out next week, uh, they're going to have to come up with some kind of application for it or gaming for it. Uh, if they're trying to make a push into the gaming market, I don't think they're going to be able to compete. <clears throat> so I think a lot of people think they're going to position this as a very expensive vertical market uh, appliance that uh, like kind of like the HoloLens is for the Microsoft side, um, that it'll have fairly, fairly limited application and it'll be used in, in professional and vertical market and industrial applications as opposed to consumer applications. Whether it's positioned as a consumer product or an industrial product remains to be seen. But they're going to have to come up with a lot of gaming software that supports it fairly quickly. And I don't think that's going to happen very quickly at all. 
I actually think that they'll probably spend a lot of time on games, mostly because games are the number one thing that's worked in in, in virtual reality. I mean, if you look at, I mean, t for me, for many years, Robo Recall on the on in the Oculus was the only game, only thing worth playing, <laughs> only thing worth opening up uh, was 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 that it really showed you what you could do with a virtual reality space. Um, and uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris, you had something before that. Well, I was noticing the time. Don't uh, worry about it. We're going to go a little over. It's an internal discussion, and I've got okay. more questions. So, here. what I was going to say is, I, as a longtime Mac user, I find the the period of time just prior to announcements uh, to be really annoying. I mean, it, it's fascinating to me to watch the to watch the the language of rumors turn from. Uh, you know, some rumor site saying, oh, we think, you know, this is what we think is going to happen. And then somebody finds like some minuscule th thread of evidence of something. And then all of a sudden, it all is spoken about as if it is absolutely etched in stone. We've said for the last couple of years, oh, there's going to be VR headsets. Haven't we? Have we not? Didn't we not expect VR headsets last year? I think we, we know did. that they're coming. We just didn't know what they were going to do. Right. But I, it's so interesting that the language becomes so um, certain, like, wow, this is what's going to happen. And then and then what happens is the, the followers start to talk about it as though it's absolutely happening. And I just I find it really interesting to watch rumors grow. And I think that there's probably been I'm going to guess in the last 10 years, there's been multiple, meaning two or more, times when Apple was so annoyed at leaks that they probably canceled an announcement. Really? You think that that's think the reason so. they canceled it? Um, you know, I, I think that... Not, I not, think well, okay, when you say it, I, I'm not specifically uh, at this moment referring to something specific, uh, a specific instance, but I'm... In recollection, I think that there have been times, there have been times when Apple has just said, you know what, we're tired of all the speculation, the rumors and the leaks, cancel it. We'll, we'll release it later. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I think that, but I do, I do think that Apple has canceled things right before they were, were I mean, an announcement. <laughs> like, you know, like if it wasn't the only thing they were announcing, I think that there's been a lot of cancellations in that, in that sense. Apple, Apple's pretty willing to not not experiment. So we could well, not I mean, see a headset next week and it could just be, hey, yeah. we've got some new t uh, M3s. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a bad announcement could be a hundred or hundreds of million dollar valuation drop in the stock. Or billions. It, ha it has to be, right. yeah, actually billion. Yeah, it could be. It could be multiple billions valuation drop in the stock if something doesn't go right or it's not perceived right it's not explained well. The yeah. news summary of it, the headline is wrong. Mm. I mean, communicate. I mean, look at look at all the. I was listening to a thing about how, um, and I won't go into the specifics, but how um, influencer um, campaigns are run in big companies, and how oftentimes the the execs at the company have no idea that some of the influencer campaigns are even, but they don't know the specifics of how they're actually transforming 
And if you look at recent news with certain influencer campaigns going completely south for companies with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars lost in valuation, I mean, it has to be right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they'll pull it in a heartbeat if if they have any concerns. Next question. From Douglas Carmichael, Douglas asks, would Universe behind a Cloudflare tunnel be a more efficient alternative to VPNs for remote production? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you you can do that. It, 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 there's a lot more setup on our end. And, and we are definitely, I mean, you're seeing that right now. This show is Universe in a Cloudflare t- tunnel talking to Isadora, which is talking to MixEffect, which is talking to an ATEM. We'll talk about that in the future episode. But the point is, is that those, yeah, so the, the answer is, uh, yes, you can definitely do a lot of things that way. Um, would I do a show with a client? Like we have it all pre-built for this kind of show. Uh, setting this up for an ad hoc, like we don't know what we're going to do next, uh, could be a lot harder. But um, but yeah, so it, it can be an alternative. I don't know if it's the alternative. Next question. Tony Mobley, Newton, Georgia, weighs in with a question. In the past, I've used ExpressVPN, is this the same kind of VPN that you refer, uh, reference today, or is it a different process altogether? A different. Uh, ExpressVPN and Vanish VPN and all those are there really just so that you can move your IP so that you can get access to content that, or you can you can basically protect yourself at a hotel room. What we're talking about is building a larger cloud of users that are able to access our our central uh, system. So that's that's it's a different, definitely a different approach. Next question. David Brady from New York, New York. Question, does anyone on the panel have any experience working with Sumoski's Sumo Light? Any idea on price point? Uh, I don't, these are, uh, I've seen them on set a couple times. They're amazing. I mean, they they work really, really well. I think that they're very expensive. I don't know what the price point is, but they are. uh, When I saw them in person, I was like, wow, these are really well built. I bet they cost a lot of money. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much they cost. But I don't think that this is not the entry point, price point uh, in there. Next question. From Ian Alford, when you have someone remote mixing sound, how do you send the audio to them? So there's a couple ways that we do that. Um, one is that we obviously use Unity Connect. Um, you know, if it's basic sound, some people listen to it through Zoom, but I don't think, I don't recommend that. Uh, but Unity Connect um, also inside of ClearCom, when you're using a matrix, the matrix has Dante. And we can put the don. We can put the the. We can send via Dante to the matrix, and then it just pushes it into the comms as another channel. You know, and so that um, that works. It's a really seamless way to to make that possible. And you could do that also with um, Unity as well. Uh, next question. Next question in from Tony Mobley again from Noonan, Georgia. I'm getting another Mac Mini as an ISO for my house of worship. Should it be stacked with my other Mac Mini or kept separate? Desk space is an issue. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Uh, there's kind of no wrong way to do this. Um, so if I'm moving, this is, you know, you can absolutely, this is a, a Mac mini sandwich on my desk because I'm taking a, taking it apart. You can also get an under desk mount. Um, this is a studio, but you can actually just get these for dual Mac minis. And I added a lazy Susan because I got tired of trying to go around it. But uh, long story short, uh, you're not really going to run into any Lost Jason there. For a second. Yeah, sorry. You're not going to run into any severe problems, uh, you know, no matter how you do it. Jason's studio is always like this little, like, he shows you some picture and you're like, whoa, this. what's going on there? You know? I love the lazy Susan. That's it's hysterical. It's such a good idea. Like, I was like, why didn't I think of putting a lazy Susan under my computer? Dang, I, th- I think Susan would object to that term. 
Susan, sorry. Susan. Susan works hard, especially in my studio. Is there any other, I guess you could call it a turntable. We've never, I've never, uh, you know, Susan would like to say an efficient Susan. And I think that that's the, that, that's what she would prefer. All right, we're going to jump into our second hour and talk a little bit about USDZ. Um, one of the reasons we're talking about USDZ this week is to hopefully prime uh, you for what we think will most likely happen next week, which is a lot of talk about USDZ. So, um, so we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the introduction to it. I'll show you a couple things um, and and things to look at uh, in this process. Um, but we will, um, and of course, if you have questions about it, I just think it's really good to prime you know us understanding what we're going to be seeing next week um, most likely is a lot of discussion about USDZ, 3D models, AR, um, and how they all relate to each other. And so it seemed like a good time to, to, to bring this up and to make sure that you understand uh, exactly how it works. So USDZ is, is the universal scene description zipped. That's what USDZ stands for. Um, USDZ or USD is Universal Scene Description. And this was created by Pixar. So Pixar um, needed some way to move their scene files from one artist to another, from one computer to another. They, they, and they figured out a format that would allow them to encapsulate everything. And this isn't just a, a model format. So when we think about a DXF or an OBJ or, a, or you know, lots of different model formats, an STL, uh, you know, they have these model formats carry with them um, maybe the textures and the geometry, but what a USDZ model will carry is, is much closer to what we would call an FBX file, which is that it's going to carry the geometry, it's going to carry rigging, it's going to carry textures, lighting, even animation. So all of that stuff can be brought from, you know, moved with the USD and the, or the universal scene description that's there. Um, now, what Apple did is they simply took what Pixar was doing as USDZ or USD, and they said, "Why don't we just uh, encapsulate it so that it's easier to move around?" So they, the USD is a bunch of folders. USDZ is uh, is actually got a, is zipped into a into its own little little com, um, com, compiled uh, section, but using just standard zip uh, zip procedure to do that. So so that what that means. Um, is that it's a nice little file, you can grab onto it, and it's going to carry with it all the geometry that you need. And the big advantage of that, of course, is that is that you know, it's just a much more compact, it's much easier to, to work with. And the reality is, is Apple has been slowly adding all of this stuff to it. And other companies now are starting to, you know, come along. USD, USD has become very popular. So whether you're using Maya or, or Cinema 4D or Houdini or uh, Blender or uh, Moto, all those you know support USD, and you can you can use those with varying with like any standard. There's often so many of them, and so so it doesn't is not as clean as we would like it to be as far as getting in. But it's the cleanest thing we've seen so far to carry that much data back and forth. So so um, anyway, so you have this uh, this great file format, and the reason that we're really excited about it is because um, it means that it's really easy. It's become much much easier to to move things around and, and to get things um, into place. And so um, what we're, you know, what we can do, and I'll show you here in a second, is download a lot of different models, whether they're USDZ or not, um, we can make those conversions. So if we, um, if we look at this, let me uh, drag this here. So as an example, one thing to note, if you're an educator or you're, um, you know, doing a lot of the stuff you can, there's a lot of this stuff that's available. So one of the, uh, you can go to, there's, you know, 3D Trader, CG Trader, or, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of different ones that, that will have files, uh, make, uh, make, um, Thingiverse 
has a lot of files that are available and some of them are an OBJ, which we can convert. I'll show you that in a second. Um, but a lot of them are uh, more and more becoming USD or USDZ. Um, here is a, um, this is the Smithsonian. Now the Smithsonian, uh, we paid for this <laughs> so as, as taxpayers. And so, um, so we have a lot of models and they have a whole team. And we're gonna try to, as we move forward, try to get this team to come on and, and, and chat with us a little bit. And they talk about media usage, about what you can. Um, there's some usage conditions, but especially if you're an educator or you're using these for examples, these are all three, um, CG models um, that you can download. So this is not just that, these aren't just pictures. Um, and they have hundreds and hundreds and uh, I think thousands, I think it's, it's 2,600 and they're constantly digitizing. Now they're mostly using, um, and again, they're using, uh, in this case, uh, they are using oftentimes photogrammetry to do this. So lots and lots of photos that could get converted. Um, so so these are these are all things, if I hit this one here, open up this Bellwex one and it'll tell you a lot about it. But most importantly, you'll, if you're in the Smithsonian, you can get in here and you'll see this little download button. When you click on it, you're gonna see, oh, I've got a bunch of options here. So um, uh, GLTF and GLB are other formats, but you'll see here that this is a, um, it has a USDZ model. So the Smithsonian has been slowly changing from just supporting the OBJ models to um, starting to support uh, the USDZ model. So if I click here, it's going to ask me where I want to save it. I'll go ahead and save that out. And now what it's going to do is, of course, um, save that. I've obviously saved a couple other ones out there. So it's it's there now. And I can say, okay, I want to show that in the finder. Now, the interesting thing here is if I just click on, uh, let's see here, pull this out here. There's a bunch of full files that I opened up here while I was getting ready. And um, and what I can do is I, I want to open this with preview. I can do reality converter. That's another issue. Now, this is just Apple's preview and you can see that I can move this around um, now you see that little flash that's an important thing that's happening there um, when it, when I stop moving uh, let's see if I can move that back up again um, that is that's anti-aliasing and that's the one thing that we that we're hoping to see more of in real time um, is um, you know, basically, you'll notice that it starts to, you know, on the edges, especially, uh, it starts to, it'll, but what it means is I can get pretty close to these things. Now, this has got, you know, the, you're always limited still by the resolution of the texture map here. Um, but, but basically, um, this is a 3D model that I can move around very, very fluidly. I'm now I'm using a studio, but any of the modern Macs um, can just move this around. I can, I can send this to Chris, I could text this to Chris. In fact, I'll, I'll text it to Chris right now. Watch this, I'm gonna take this guy, I'm gonna drag it over. I don't know if Chris can actually show his iPhone, but um, uh, let's see here. I am going to text this to Chris. And Chris, you should you should get that model. And when you click on it, it should be, it should let you actually have it appear you know, in front of you. So you can, yep. So it's gonna show it and it's gonna actually pop on into place in front of you. So now you're, there you go, you're able to move around it, right? I can't hear you, Chris. Uh, yeah, let's see, oh, it went away. you went to show oh, it there to it me. Is. So it's, yeah. there it is. So it's, oh wow, oh, hello. Oh, so you can I move around it. Okay, I have to squeeze it down. Yeah. <laughs> I started looking at it on your it, screen. So the funny thing is, is that when it shows up, um, it will show up at scale. 
<laughs> so if, if, if someone saved the scale, if you text it to somebody, it will it will show up in scale. And and that's any of the last couple phones um, will do that. So so anyway, so we've we've sent it to Chris. Chris has it on his phone. He's looking at it. He can zoom in. Um, and so this is, but I can build 3D models to do this as well. Um, and so this is, you know, this is, um, uh, let me see if I can, uh, this is one that we built actually for, um, let's see. Um, yeah, so the... Con considering it's an airplane and I'm in a small apartment, I don't think I can really do the AR version, but I do have it on the phone. But you can rotate it around. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And then now, and and when you start thinking about this, okay, well, it's fine that the Smithsonian is doing it, but the other thing that you can look at here is um, this is I'm going to cut to this. This is something we actually built for um, we, we um, Chris uh, Fritchie actually built this one that you're seeing here, um, but we did this for this is a company called Clarity.io. And this is an actual, what you're seeing, everything on this website is generated not from a pictures, but from the, from the model. So this is the CG model of it. You can see it rotating here. Um, if we click on this, you'll see it there um, rotating around. Now, what's interesting is all these product shots, these product shots are all generated by the model. And because it's USDZ, all they had to do to show these things. Now, this is a very accurate 3D model that was created because... What's great about working with someone like Chris uh, Fritchie is that, is that he all he does all day is build highly accurate models, and so so he was able to build this all out. And this means that anytime this company wants to build a new picture of this, they don't need to talk to a CG artist. They don't need to talk to any you know. They don't need to try to figure it out. All they do is open up Preview, rotate it in front of a white background. You know, just just rotate this around and hit screen capture or just save it out and it'll just save out as a, as a new still. So they have whatever angle they want now is all available to them at any, at any given time, <clears throat> any given time. And um, they actually made it available so that you could download. Again, you can actually go to clarity.io, um, you know, it's, and you can download a USDZ model of, of the, uh, so I can actually, um, let's see if I can see if it's going to open in preview. Or something else. We'll see. Hold on. Oh, I wanted to open an Xcode. Hold on. That won't work. It's a problem with having. Let's see. So I can open with uh, preview again. And so as a client, I really want to figure this out. I can actually rotate this around. And so that is the model that we just saw. And I'll see how it. This is what I was talking about before. See how it, it looks rough and you see kind of moray. And then as soon as I let go, you'll see it get, it, it softens up and, and becomes clear. Um, that's anti-aliasing. That, that's the one thing that is really problematic right now in real time is that it's hard to, because what, what happens is it renders a higher resolution version and then scales it down to do that. But you can see that there is a lot of detail, um, you know, in this, in this model and if I do this on the phone, it will actually pop up in at the resolution that I, you know, it'll it'll actually pop up um, on my desk at the scale that it was set at. Um, but I can also bring that in if I want to do animations with it. This is what we were kind of talking to here. And again, if you have questions about this, go ahead and throw them in, and we'll we'll um, kind of cut through a lot of questions. We're going to go to questions here in a second, just so you can we can cut through some of those before we show more. Um, but but if I go in here and I take this clarity node um, and uh, 
And I built all the animations for their, their thing inside of motion doing this. So, oops, let's see here. Of course, it doesn't work when I do this. I was, I was doing this earlier as a test to make sure I can do it, and now I can't do it. So we'll cut back, and uh, I'll figure out why that didn't work. Um, but what I, I was just, I literally before the show, I was like, I got to make sure I can drag it in and uh, let's see if I import. Um, this is why post-production will always be a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go um, into post, people. Uh, yeah, so so we'll let me let me cut to this here, and uh, so you can see the bell, you can see the clarity node here, um, and uh, there it is. So there there's the um, so I just imported it there for some reason I couldn't drag it, but now I can rotate it around, so you can see me able to rotate it around inside a motion, um, and uh, and it, it it the performance is you know very high, and so now I can build all of my you know this is you know this is a three D model in a three D space. And so this is the this is what's possible now, and this is not like this is coming out next week. This has been in uh, for at least two or three years now inside of Motion um, that you can actually do you know this this type of work, um, and I can you know zoom in. I can you know I could take uh, my camera here and um, I can um, you know go into my inspector. I can you know set the properties. So I say okay, I want to I want to capture my position, and now I want to you know, uh, rotate, well, we'll leave it here. I'll go to another location. I will, you know, rotate around a little bit. We'll rotate up like this. Now you can see that I've laid the keyframe and, and I can, um, I don't know why that didn't work. This is why we, this is why we don't do that anyway. So, um, so anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that. I, I had a live demo that worked much better than this uh, before the show. Anyway, so, um, so this is the, uh, um, what you can see here, though, is that is that I I'm able to manipulate all of these things in motion, and I'm able to get you know it's it is a uh, um, and it's you know it's it's really you know very very high performance as far as you know what you know what I'm able to actually get done here. So anyway, so this is the um, and I will figure out why it isn't oh because I'm on active camera instead of camera. There we go. That's the camera here. So this is, uh, let's see if we, if we grab it now. And I grab it up here like this. Let's see if we can. Well, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> but anyway, you can normally animate that. Um, but the, the point is, is that, is that what, you're, what you're seeing there is um, the ability to bring that into motion. I think in your, you also see it, the ability to bring it into preview and all of it runs at a pretty high performance. Um, what we're going to be able to do, I think, in the near future is bring it into things like pages, into Keynote, into into even numbers. I don't know why you put it in your spreadsheet, but you can put a 3D model in the spreadsheet. It's not, if we go back to the Clarity I.O., it's not just, um, the issue is not, uh, it's not just that, that it is, um, that you can animate a 3D object. It's just that you can move it around. If you look at that Clarity I.O., that, that was, I can decide if we go back, if we go back to this, you know, the big thing is here is no matter what I do, um, I can, uh, you know, if I dolly in, I'm doing a presentation and I, I really need a, you know, I'm doing a presentation and I, and I click on this object, let's say in, inside of Keynote, it's not available in Keynote yet, but you go, oh, I really want it to be 
I want to look at it from the from down here. I want to look at it from another angle, you know, whatever it is. I want to look up up like this to show you something down like this. Right now, we're stuck with images. So we're all just like, oh, whatever image I can load in or I can render something out. Now I can sit there and open it up, rotate it around. What I've done in the past is actually have things that I want to illustrate for a client built in 3D and put into USDZ. And then I just move them around in, in, in preview and then I render them out out of preview. I just save them out as 2D files so that I can bring them in and, and get just the angle I need to do that. Super powerful. And, um, and so it's really worth understanding how, you know, USDZ is kind of, you know, part of this, uh, part of this process. Go ahead, Courtney. Does USDZ support uh, uh, built-in animation to the model? Does a little package up? For example, yep. I, I know in, in Windows, we have the 3D viewer here so that uh, these are animated models and, you know, this is a real 3D model and I can view it, zoom in on it, zoom out, change my point of view to anything and the animation is still running. So does it support uh, objects like that? Uh, it does. Yeah. So you can, you can, let me see if I can grab one that. that so you can uh, attach a walk cycle to a, a model, let's say of a man or a, a beast of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. So you can absolutely, um, let's see here. I, uh, start, let me start from scratch here. I, I somehow got myself into a different state here. Um, but the, uh, you can absolutely, um, save ones. If I'm just going to grab one here, let me see if I can. So um, you can see it here. If I'm if I'm looking at it here, you can see that there's an animation attached to this to this uh, 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 to this butterfly, and that's all part of the model. Yeah, so that's the model that's in there. So, uh, in fact, I probably if I found it, you know, brought it into preview, it would probably work the same way. So, so yeah, you can absolutely put animations in. You can put effects. You can put you know a lot of things. You know, anything that the 3D model will hold. I mean, anything that you're doing to it, pretty much, you can put in there. So, yeah, absolutely, you can you can have those there. And there are other formats. I think that the the main thing is is that. The reason I think USDZ is so important is because um, no one else is putting as much pressure under it. Apple doesn't invent, invent very much. What they do is they make it much more available. <laughs> you know, and suddenly everyone's using something. You know, US, USB was not used very much until Apple rolled it out. And I think that the USDZ format, because it's not something that Apple controls, Apple, it's an open format. Anybody can use it. I think suddenly with everybody using it, and, and I still strongly believe, and this may not happen next week, that when USDZ hits um, Keynote, there's going to be this massive demand for low-cost clip art, essentially, in, you know, because everyone wants to have, just think of all the little examples that you have that in Keynote and being able to just throw those in and start to, to push it. I think that everyone will support whatever gets that into that. And Keynote is one piece of that, but again... It's just mostly that there hasn't been an organized way to do that. Um, it's, it's been available in PowerPoint as, as um, Courtney's showing. It's just that I don't see a lot of people using it. And a lot of it has to do with even the stuff that's in motion that I just showed that butterfly. The quality isn't as high as it could be. And, and I think that we, we really need that when we get to a point where we're really producing really high quality CG, 
that's really built for this platform, you're going to end up seeing kind of an explosion of demand. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. It looks like the uh, the lights are baked in. They're not movable once you're in motion, or do you have to take it you out? You can add lights. You can so add you lights. So you can add lights it. after the mm -hmm. fact, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's a USDZ model. Yeah, some of them will have lights, and some of them you you can um, you can add you know add the um, uh, you know lighting to it um, to to make that work. Let me see if I can get a. Then my bonus question while you're thinking about that is, uh, does it respect things like ambient occlusion and all the other if you, uh, stuff that comes with it? If you bake that in, um, absolutely. So, yeah, you just have to decide you're going to um, – so you can see here if we cut to this, you can see I've added like a little light rig. So that'll take on lighting that's there, you know, the, the, the lighting rig that's there. So um, so it's it's still, you know, it's uh, – this is the lighting rig that I was kind of playing with here. You can see it changing as I kind of move it around. Um, and so, so it can, it can absolutely, you know, here's me changing the lighting, you know, in different ways of just grabbing that whole rig and moving it around. So, so absolutely, um, you know, it's still taking on lighting. It's not baked in, but if you have ambient occlusion, it'll definitely see ambient occlusion maps. It'll see normal maps. It'll see, you know, all of those things are, are still baked into the system and still react as you would expect them to. The, the, the real challenge that we have to see is, whether they can solve using you know really high processing and GPU and CPU the anti-aliasing problem. So when you animate them, um, you, you you still see this this aliasing you know that that goes on because it's not oversampling. When you use it in preview and if you move something in you know Keynote or whatever, as soon as it stops, you'll see this little flash that flash that I showed there where it's anti-alias. It's rendering it at higher res and then forming that that one frame. Uh, I think that as CPU power gets a lot better, we can start doing that in real time at 30 frames a second. Right now it's not done quite at 30 frames a second, but I think that's where we're trying to get to. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, well, yeah, and to that end, I mean, if I take, um, I just texted this to you, Alex. Um, the practical stuff that I find is like, when you end up with a perfect force scale of, of a room, in this case, this is the room that I'm in right now. Right. Um, and you can, you know, without having to know, like, I don't have to measure cables because I know exactly how long it is because everything is forced scale. And as far as, um, as far as occlusion, um, I've pissed it off, but yeah, it absolutely does work. Clean show. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it, yeah, the, uh, you can definitely, and one of the things is because it's full scale, I, I had, I had a problem where I scanned a house. I was scanning somebody else's house and I, and I opened it up. And what was weird is that it just kind of, it will just have the house up here. And I did it in Polycam um, and the house will just appear at scale. So it was, I was in one house inside of another house. But if I walked out into the parking lot and turned it on, I could literally just walk around, you know, inside of it. And so I think that that's, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, Apple has been, this is why I think that Apple might be successful where other people have failed inside of AR is because Apple's been do, building this up slowly. I mean, all most of the tools we're talking about right now are not brand new. They've been around for three or four years now and, and being, you know, worked on and developed. Now, let's go to the questions. First question. First one in from Robin S. Kurz in Hanover. Has anyone found an app, 3D or otherwise, that actually exports clean, usable USDZ files outside of maybe Apple's Reality Converter or Substance 3D Painter? Blender's plugin is one, but uh, it's pretty wonky and useless. Yeah. Um, I will say that most of the work that that, that I have done has been, it, it ends up getting finished inside of uh, Substance 3D. So that's Adobe's product. They bought it from uh, 
um, algorithmic. Um, and, and so they, they, uh, Substance 3D is the is the way that I do it. It's a really funky pipeline, which I'm not going to show today because I think it'll change soon, hopefully. Um, and so the, uh, but basically you export out a USD, you export textures as USDZ and it exports the model with the textures. It's a kind of a roundabout way of exporting something out inside a substance, but it does do a lot of the work that you need to do to make that happen. So I found that to be the most um, effective at, at sending out the final uh, models. Um, I, there are, you know, Houdini probably does it the most, is probably the most powerful texture um, for USDZ right now. Um, and so a lot of the folks that are doing really high-end work are using Houdini. Um, Cinema 4D does some of it, but it's not incredible uh, or hasn't been so far. Uh, we expect it to get much better. Um, Cinema 4, I, I think Maxon is paying a lot of attention to this. And so we expect that to get um, a much, much better as far as the output. Uh, Blender, I think, We'll get around to it. Uh, I think Apple is part of the support um, group that that funds Blender <laughs> to make sure that there's a free version that does these things. Uh, so, so, but I, so I do think that USDZ will uh, get better. I think USDZ as the demand. There's this kind of problem with right now. It's like who's using USDZ? If again, if Keynote and Pages and if USDZ becomes available in, and I think it'll have to become available in in PowerPoint and Word and everything else because you won't be able to, you know, it, it'll be very complicated on the Mac otherwise. And so, so I think that that's going to, as that rolls out, you're going to see a higher demand for those models, which will give the 3D companies a reason to improve their, their exporter. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah. If you're using uh, Google SketchUp uh, as a 3D model creator, et cetera, there's a company called SimLab that makes this uh, importer. It's a subscription based, uh, try it for free that will import usdz and it supports mm -hmm. uh material support uh, and it's easy to use supposedly but uh, it'll let you import the models into sketchup i don't know whether it, it uh, it's a plug-in and i don't know whether it'll support export back to 3dz but maybe the other thing that's available from apple is um it's called uh reality converter so reality converter if we if i'm gonna pull this up here real quick here, here and so if we click, click to this, you'll see this is Reality Converter. This is available, I think, only to developers. So you have to have you know pay the, I think the hundred dollar uh, entry fee right now to do this. But I this is what it's considered a quote unquote beta um, to make this all work. But I but the um, but what Reality Converter does, of course, is is let you. I'm going to try to open this. We're going to oh it, no, it didn't open correctly. Hold on. Um, the uh, let's see if I can open. This is, uh, I'm going to open exterior top. Let's try dragging this in. So I'm going to drag in this model. It might be not the whole model. Oh, see, this is, uh, it doesn't work for everything. Um, and I am now, I've gotten myself into, uh, I don't, I had a lot of things that I had set up here before that were working here. Um, but Reality Converter generally, uh, when I, when I open it up, it will, maybe I grabbed the wrong one here. Um, the, uh, we'll, we'll grab onto 3D models. This is a, let's see, this is going to be, it may not be the entire model there. This is just a piece of the model, but you can see that this is an OBJ that was brought in here. And so, so I can start to reconstitute an OBJ model into USDZ. Um, and so, so those are the kind of things that you can start to bring in and convert those out into USDZ models. And so there is a way to get from, uh, there's a way to get from from OBJ and GL uh, the GLTB and GLB or whatever 
you can get those out into USDZ if you need to by going through Reality Converter, most of them. But as you saw right there, not all of them. So if they're really complex models, sometimes it's hard to get that conversion to work. Um, but I do think that, you know, again, there's going to be a lot of pressure um, to make that actually uh, work in the not too distant future. Um, next question. From Bobby Rafferty in Florida, does the USDZ 3D objects interact and cast shadows in Apple Motion? Uh, I actually don't know. Um, I haven't tried to do that. Uh, we'll, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to try to do, given my, my success rate right now in my demo, I'm not going to try to do it right now. Um, but, but it's a good question and we'll, we'll keep on looking at it, but I, I don't know if it will or not. Um, next question. Robin S. Kurz in Hanover, Germany. Can you download any model from Sketchfab as USDZ when it includes multiple animation loops, you get a random one of them in motion. Does anyone know how to change or switch which animation comes in? Yeah, so um, you can you can download those. So you can get download a lot of these from Sketchfab, and they do have the animations. And it does, as he said, as Robin said, uh, it will grab random ones. Uh, and um, I don't know how to change that. I, I, it's 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 kind of what I will say is that Motion I don't think is designed to send you multiple animations. It's designed to send one of them. Um, and I think you may have to use uh, Reality Composer to pull those out. Um, but I haven't ha actually had to try it. I'll be honest, I haven't used a lot of the pre-animated um, things because I don't usually need that. I need I need them to be, I mean, I'm, I'm doing the animations. And so so I haven't needed to, to have that work. Um, next question. Matthias Utilia from Helsinki, Finland asks, if I have iPhone 14 Pro with LiDAR, can I scan some object to create USDZ 3D models? What software for iPhone? Go ahead, Jason. Um, well, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Um, I used the same one that um, Alex did, and I ended up doing an entire, um, wasn't even a house, was an entire warehouse. I'm blanking on the name of that one. Um, the one that, um, that I just used was Magic Plan, and that's, you know, a blueprint that ends up, you know, showing out as... Um, as kind of a textured white. As far as grabbing objects, um, I think that the the ones that the easiest one to use right now is Polycam. Polycam, if you want to if you want to grab the objects themselves. Now, Epic makes one um, that is reality uh, capture. I, I believe it's the reality. They bought reality capture, and then they have a f iPhone version of it. Um, interestingly enough, the beta works better than the release, uh, or at least it has for me. Uh, the the release the beta version was a little geekier and a lot more it felt like a lot more detailed um, and it was a lot it became a lot less detailed um, or or harder to use when they got to the release version I'm sure they were trying to make it easier but the reality capture um, from from uh, Epic is uh, it, it's cool but I ended up going back to Polycam for it so you can grab Polycam objects um, basically you just kind of move around and it starts to grab objects there it's not super accurate. You can get things that you can kind of throw in there. I haven't found that it's something that I would use in a project. I usually use it as a rough so that I can rebuild them, uh, rebuild the objects um, in, in detail. Uh, next question. From JJ McKenna in San Rafael, California. JJ asked, for integration into a product like Fusion 360, what is a low-cost option for capturing a room with a level of detail within a half a centimeter of accuracy? None. There's no low-cost way to do that. In fact, at a half a centimeter, even at five, you know, at five millimeters uh, in a room, you're talking about a real like scanner. Not even, not even the little scanner that I use uh, would have that accuracy. It'd be plus or minus uh, probably a centimeter, centimeter and a half, um, or maybe a centimeter if it was a room. It might be down to that, but 
um, I wouldn't trust it uh, at a higher resolution. So uh, you're talking about a Faro 350 at that point <laughs> you know, to get to get a room. I mean, if it's a really small room, maybe you could use a, but I don't think there's anything on the phone or anything that's cost effective that's going to get you uh, five millimeters of accuracy. You're, you need a real uh, scanner. Yeah, so that's going to cost what a Mercedes does. Yeah, inexpensive Mercedes, but in a Mercedes, yeah, I mean, it would be you know entry level thirty five to fifty thousand somewhere in that range before you're going to get series going to have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, next question, Robin S. Kerr is in Hanover, Germany, asking, "Why do you think USDZ seems to have such limited adoption, considering who's behind it, Pixar and Apple, and how amazing and convenient it is as a container format compared to others like FBX, GITF, OBJ." Uh, it is because they haven't flipped the they haven't flipped the, the volume on it yet. So I mean, you know, it, I don't think that anybody's trying um, too hard to. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's trying to 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 do that just yet. So I think that the reason that we're talking about it this week is because I kind of want you to pay attention to it as we look at the Apple event next week, and we look at the PR, and we look at a lot of the stuff that's coming out next week. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to see a lot more USDZ over the summer. So I, I feel like sometimes it's our job, even though, uh, it, you know, we, we kind of throw it together here. Um, it's our job to make sure that you understand that this is this is going to be potentially could be a big deal. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. I just wonder, you know, how big it's going to be. I mean, we went through the big 3D uh, surge about five years ago when, you know, all television sets were 3D and every movie was released in 3D and uh, people were more interested in creating their own 3D objects and so on, putting them in and stuff. And now it's at least uh, in the world I'm in, 3D has kind of been deprecated. Uh, in fact, the 3D viewer that I showed here, you know, this one is uh, used to come in every copy of windows it was in a uh, built-in the 3d viewer was built into windows 10 it is not in windows 11 you can download it it's still free but it's not installed by default so i see kind of a falling off in the industry in the interest of 3d tools for creation uh, for use in various you know products presentation products maybe there'll be a resurgent if apple is able to produce a consumer priced uh, 3D uh, VR AR goggle that would bring attention back to the 3D world. Uh, it might generate some excitement in it, and, uh, but I don't know. I think 3D has come and gone again, as it does every 10 or 15 years. I think that I think that there's been a couple things, and I want to distinguish between stereo 3D and 3D objects because those are two different two different worlds. So. One of the things that's come and gone a couple times is obviously seen in 3D. I mean, there was, I think I just found these. <laughs> I have, I have, I have these red, blue, really nice ones, these red, blue uh, glasses here that I, that I use. And um, so I use, I keep these, the reason that they're so easy for me to grab onto is because they're sitting on my desk. And the reason they're sitting on my desk is that when I use Metashape, um, this is the, um, when I use Metashape, I, it, it has a 3D mode. And so when I'm working in the objects, I can throw this on and look at a 3D object and it's in 3D um, while I'm working on it. And it's the old fashioned red, blue, um, you know, it's just really easy to set up and it works really well. So so anyway, so I, I still, yep, yeah, there we go. John's got some too. And so so I, I, still, um, I still use uh, the red, blue and, and that's been used since the 50s. And so in the 50s, we got really excited about it and then we got unexcited about it. And then we got excited and then James Cameron brought it up and then we got excited about it again with Avatar and then, then we lost it. And a lot of times I think it has to do with people doing bad 
bad 3D, you know? And so I think that if every movie looked like Avatar in 3D, more people would be excited about it. And people got excited about it, they wanted to see in 3D, and then people, and then Hollywood was like, let's take all old films that were shot in 2D and put them on 3D cards and make it all look, and, and there was a huge conversion. Everyone's trying to jump into it. Same thing, I think the same problem that Atmos is having right now is that, is that everyone gets excited. Apple got people excited about, you know, surround music, and then everyone just started converting, and a lot of it isn't very good. And, um, and, and as a result, you're kind of like, well, I don't know if this is really going to work. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I, I might point out uh, this 3D device from 100 years ago. So uh, in the 20s, there was a surge, a surge in 3D viewing devices, the stereoopticon. And uh, so, you know, it comes and goes as far out. Look, he's got one right there. Uh, this is, I love 3D. So, um, <laughs> so there, there's the, there's the opticon. It was, um, uh, yeah. Dom Camaracha got it, uh, sent it to me a long time ago. AKA anyway, so, blinders for humans. Yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, but, but I think that, um, uh, the, uh, I think that these, that USDZ is, uh, I mean, I think that 3d, even though it is, uh, been slow, I, I think that, uh, that when you see it really work, you're like, oh, this is going to go somewhere eventually. Uh, one of the big problems is is content generation. So being able to build the content for it is hard. And I think that slows things down a fair bit um, as, it, as it works. But I think that also, you know, the tools that, that are there, like right now, if I, if I look at stuff on Amazon, if I look at, if I'm looking for furniture on Amazon, um, and it's kind of hidden. And I feel like that's, they're waiting for something because Amazon had a lot of artists building 3D objects. And if you go into Amazon and there's some of their most sold things, it'll, if, if you're on your phone, it won't even show up if you're on desktop, but if you're on your phone, it'll go, hey, would you like to see this? And it's like hidden in a corner and you hit it and boom, there is a chair or a shelf at scale that just pops into your room. And it does a pretty good job of finding the walls and everything else, especially with an iPhone, um, and finding the walls in the corners. And you just set it up there and you can move it around and see what it looks like. And it does a, it's pretty good, you know, and, uh, and I'm always kind of amazed that, that it hasn't really turned on. And we've been building ideas around this for 25 years. So I, I, I do see why Courtney is somewhat, um, uh, you know, unsure about the, 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 the viability of this process. But I will say that uh, when it works, it works so well. And the, the product itself is so good that I just feel like there's a, there's a, there's a one thing to happen. I do think that it being available in Keynote, and I think there's two pieces of it. One, being available in Keynote, and two, people getting ex ag aggressive about the model cost. So right now, people have, you know, a model is anywhere from $10, $5 or $10 all the way up to $150 for the model or thousands of dollars for the model. When someone starts going, hey, I could build clip art, I can give you 25 objects for 10 bucks. Um, and it's available in, in that model format will work in PowerPoint and in um, Keynote and in potentially in slides. When that happens, the people who do that first will probably not have to work anymore. <laughs> like, you know, like they're gonna make a lot of money. Um, and the, it, it's, it's a weird thing that suddenly there'll be a lot of money to be made because I think there's a lot of demand at a certain cost and the cost right now is too high. And if it drops below that cost, it will explode. But all the model, that whole business model that was that TurboSquid lives on will evaporate in a matter of a couple of years. Like I would not want to be a, a stockholder in, <laughs> in TurboSquid because I think that that whole thing will just flip and I don't think that TurboSquid will be able to 
shift because of the way their business model works. Um, next question. Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Canada. Here's a question. It's a USDZ file, an entity in an application, or does it act like a plugin, like Final Cut Pro, Effects, or Audio? Yeah, you can you can actually um, set uh, save this out. I'm probably not going to be able to. I'm a little hesitant to try to do a lot more of this right now, um, but uh, but you can convert that and save it out to as an effect source um, in Final Cut. So you can bring you can build something in motion. You can't right now import models directly into Final Cut, but you can import them into motion, save them out as an effect, and bring them into Final Cut. And of course, like everything else, have the are the the things that you want to control in Final Cut, or in um, uh, you can set those inside of Motion to to make that possible. So so that is a um, uh, I think that it's it's pretty powerful, and I think that these I still think that Motion and Final Cut are going to become content generation tools for. I think that's why Apple's not that worried about everybody else what everybody else is doing with their NLEs. I think you need that content creator creation tools. Apple needs to have that control, and I think that they're about to. You know, use those, and I think we're going to see probably some updates there. Uh, next question. Chris Fritchie from Tomball, Texas, is here with a question. USDZ will really take off once Apple lifts that 47-megabyte file limit for the phone. Any idea if and when that might happen? I'd like to think modern phones could easily handle one gigabyte. Yeah, yeah, I think that... Uh, I think Chris is right. Uh, we we ran into that limit quite a few times, and it's mostly around textures, I believe. Uh, and it it hopefully Apple will release that. It's it's a, it feels like a very arbitrary limit. I think that they're ma- trying to be backwards compatible with smaller phones and everything else. But uh, I think Chris is absolutely right that the phone now the processor is capable of far more uh, you know far more data. So sending a, a two or three hundred meg. Um, file uh, or even a gig file, I think you could do that. Of course, it's going to use up <laughs> use up a lot of people's. Uh, it might be you can only download over Wi-Fi, you know that kind of thing because uh, use up people's transfer. I think that might also be why Apple is is a little careful to not do that for everything. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think maybe when they remove any type of removable media from their phones, uh, so there's no SD cards, uh, micro SD cards that you can plug into phones in the Apple lines anymore. Maybe that's why they limited it to 47 megabytes because you're you have a finite amount of memory in that phone. You're going to fill it up pretty quickly if you're downloading a lot of 3D up. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that'll get that'll get fixed. <laughs> Next question, Eduardo Augustine from Panama asking. Can I scan my home with an iPhone to create a blueprint or measurement of my space? Go, Jason. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You just saw it, and um, that was magic plan. You do have to pay for it if you want it to be even remotely usable. But yes, absolutely, and it, it'll work really well. Clean your lenses. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, would an Apple Silicon Mac be required for acceptable performance with USDZ models and Final Cut, Keynote, etc.? It works pretty well. I mean, it depends on how heavy the model, but it works pretty well, even on older. Uh, the, the one that I started doing, the one that I did all that production with that clarity uh, in motion, I did all of that on a um, on a uh, 2017 iMac, not even an iMac Pro, but a 2017 iMac, pretty loaded, but nothing special. So 32 gigs of RAM, um, six-year-old computer now, and it worked fine. So, so it definitely doesn't need the M1. Of course, the M1 works better. Uh, next question. Kyle Hammond uh, from Chicago, Illinois. You have mentioned in the past that there is or will be a growing business opportunity in churning out USDZ models for money. What is the market that will be buying those models? 
I think I think if you you know you have to look at what those model markets are, but you know what who, what's the market that buys clip art you know for those kinds of things, and so so I think that um, educators, uh, corporate presenters, um, people who want to you know add salespeople are going to be interested in adding those things. I think some of them are going to be added as a service. Um, I think that you know a lot of sales folks when they see that they could have their object and show it to a client sitting on a desk, uh, they get pretty excited about a custom version of that, but. Being able to do it inside of Keynote and and just having oh I want to talk about a telephone and I have a phone but the problem is you're always like trying to find the right clip art and how what angle can I put it in and how can I turn this around when I can just grab a 3D once people once people start building photoreal or slightly kind of uh, smoothie kind of photoreal kind of like a you know kind of an, uh, just something that's kind of an object there when they start doing those things and, and exporting those out. I think you're going to find a lot of people just love the idea of not using photographs and being able to throw an object in, rotate it around to where I where I need it, and then being able to um, uh, you know drop it into it. Even if I'm never going to rotate it around in a, in a in a conversation, I want to be able to rotate around. Most of the, the the biggest problems that we have right now is that almost every object that you download from TurboSquid and other things needs heavy cleaning before it's really usable um, for that kind of thing. And so that's, you know, usually folks like us use those as, as reference material and then we rebuild huge chunks of them because they're just not good enough by themselves. And so um, I think that, you know, to make this work, you're gonna have people who are you know, building them at a higher level. Go ahead, Courtney. And I think also because of the increase in popularity of 3D printing, this has uh, generated a surge in the availability of 3D models, especially like Thingiverse and the uh, open source uh, model uh, stores that are out there where you can buy or download for free a lot of 3D models designed for practical world stuff for 3D printing. Uh, besides the CGI aspect like TurboSquid uses for you know 3D content uh, creation, uh, of uh, media rather than 3D objects for printing. And, and you know, some of the folks that were like, I know that Kinoflow is a good example of a company that embraced SketchUp and built almost, I think all their lights were built. I don't, I think it was Kinoflow that actually built them, but somebody built all of the Kinoflow lights were available in SketchUp and they had all the little controls that SketchUp allows for. So hinging and, you know, all the pivots and everything else were all kind of built into it. And it really, for a while, it was really like why we bought, I mean, we would sketch everything out in Keynote because, I mean, in, in, in Keynote flows, because we could just, in SketchUp, we were just laying out our scenes and it was the easiest lights to get in there. And then once they were in there, you were like, oh, I'm going to use those. And so I think that there's going to be more and more folks that are making versions of uh, 3D models of it. And again, when you get down to training, uh, we built, uh, uh, Alan, who was on last week, we built a high resolution of a sound devices 442 um, a long, you know, this is this is how long we've been doing this. Almost twenty years ago, uh, I think it was maybe eighteen years ago or something like that, that we built one um, to build training. Now the training the problem was it still was took a little too much time. But the idea that I could do, you know, when you think about uh, motion and you think about Final Cut, the idea that I could rotate around, do call outs like this is what this does, and this is what this does, and this is what this does. I think that you're going to end up with um, a different kind of training man manual in the not too distant future. And right now, the the one that would be the most, that potentially could have the best tools to do that would be something like Pages if they added it to it because it just has all the interactive tools already built in. So it'd be real, it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Uh, next question. From Mickey Makachor in the middle of Philippines. Uh, Mickey asks, will there be a future of funny 3D GIFs? I'm so excited. Yeah. You know, 
so the funny thing about the funny gifts is that um, there's a company called Anarch. Anarch now is part of NVIDIA, I think. And they build these really high-end um, analyzation tools for 3D and everything else. Anyway, I used to work for Anarch. I was the first art director there. And I we had a game called Galapagos that that was um, that I built a little character and all the levels and you know everything else. And one of the things that they did to make money and like be, be between when Galapas just came out and they were, they have this thing called leveler and then that, that turned into what they're doing now. I think, I think in kind of a roundabout way when they, when they, uh, um, between that, they built a 3d gift maker thing. Then this is probably 25 years ago that they built this little thing that built little 3d gifts and you could throw, or you can throw a little odd things on. I can't even remember what it was called. But it would just generate little three D gifts, and they were a lot of fun. I could definitely, th I definitely think you'll end up with a, a gift maker. Um, next question, Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland, asking: I remember receiving a model of a car, and when opened, I could watch it through phone camera in my living room. Was that possibly a USDZ file? And what are the requirements to display three D models in real space within the phone? Yeah, it probably was. And it is something that is relatively easy to just, you know, if you have it there, you move your phone around a little bit. On the Android side, they just use parallax. So they, you know, you just move the camera, it just calculates what it needs to calculate based on the movement of the camera. On the on the Apple side, they either use parallax or they use LiDAR or they use a little bit of both um, to figure out the scale and position and then they drop it in there. And oftentimes you can move it around, you can scale it up and down. And, and again, this is where you know, you could get through a lot more. And again, the goggles then take on another, you know, layer of, of, uh, you know, of, of detail that you can throw things on, walk things around. You know, one of the things the HoloLens has been really popular in, in uh, AEC, you know, architectural engineering and construction, because you can take LIDAR scans and you can put the HoloLens on and see, walk through, like, this is where it's at. This is where it was yesterday kind of thing. Um, and this is where, where the builds are. And it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, next question. Dave Troutman, Edmonton, California, Canada, sorry. When I think of uh, at scale for models, I see this being popular with engineering and architecture. Or is there another hobby level aspect to learn modeling? There you go, Jason. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of everywhere. It, this is one of these things where there is a practical part, but like uh, there's also an artistic part. Um, it, the WWDC thing, like this is their experience like there it is a bubble in space like i can put my hand on it, it it's just neat yeah yeah go ahead and courtney yeah as i pointed out earlier uh, 3d printing is 3d printing is now coming into the consumer world and the latest set of 3d printers and i just got mine a week ago the k1 um have speeded up uh, the 3d printing the, the additive 3d printing process so there's a uh, a huge thirst once you get a 3D printer and can turn out real-world objects. Uh, there's a, a host of need for, I mean, there's a great need for uh, creating those 3D objects. So as more and more, as that hobbyist uh, uh, device moves more and more into the uh, uh, the real world, uh, you're, you'll see more and more of a desire to for the tools to create 3D objects, I think. Uh, that can be turned into real 3D objects uh, using 3D printers. Uh, yeah, go ahead, John. When we did the uh, when we did OH based rocket, we, I did a USDZ model. Um, Fritchie did the OBJ, and then I converted it into USDZ. 
And then I was able to take it into the pub where it sits right now and then shown the odor of the pub where we were going to put it in this bar. It worked out great. Yeah. And and we've done a lot of things where, again, I think that we it's a little different on the phone, but you can wander around. So one of the things I built is I took parts of, uh, of um, you know, it was in Angkor Wat in, in Cambodia and I shot a bunch of photos and I created a 3D model of those photos. And then what I was able to do is is I can walk as if I was there and walk through it in fair amount of detail. Um, and it was, it's pretty impressive, you know? And so being able to tour things, being, you know, I, you know, tourism, imagine, you know, especially if you're gonna spend a lot of money going somewhere now, it's so much money to go anywhere. <laughs> like I, every time I travel when I'm not, when I'm, it's not a business trip, I'm like, I, how does anyone do this? Um, if I'm gonna go to a castle or I'm gonna go to a place that I wanna see, I would love to download an app and be able to go out and tour it and learn a lot about it before, before I get there. So that I can, you know, so that I get the most out of that trip because I paid a lot of money to get there. I, I can, and I think that we're going to see more and more um, of these types of things as we, as we move forward. All right. Well, there we go. Great job to the producers for uh, um, asking all those questions, keeping the conversation going. I wasn't sure how, whether, whether USDZ was going to hold up for a whole hour, but I wanted to cover it anyway, because I think it's important to what we're about to see and what we're going to be doing. So thanks for keeping that moving forward and great, great questions in the first hour. Thanks to the panel. Can't do this without you. And uh, just a lot of great answers, a lot of great conversation today. I, I still don't get tired of it every day getting in here. Sometimes I get here right before you don't see this on the other side. But like, I think everybody worries that when we get to about 40 seconds or 30 seconds and I haven't turned my camera on, everyone's like, what are we going to do next? And um, anyway, so I, I, I sometimes see the stress, but but I'm here and, uh, and I enjoy it. And the panel panel uh, came up under and uh, had made a great, great show again, as always. Uh, so thank you so much for your contribution. And thanks to the incredible team on the back end uh, who is um, is uh, just, you know, making this all happen. This is the development team. Uh, this is the uh, the production team, the organizational team. There's so many people that that are necessary for the show to run the way it is. And we just really appreciate your contribution. Um, a quick announcement. We are going to move our volunteer meetings, which are usually the first Saturday. We're going to move them to the second Saturday. We've got a lot of conflicts coming up on first Saturdays. I realized we're going to move it because of this Saturday, but then I realized that that it's actually uh, every like every Saturday for the next four months, I've got conflicts. And so we're going to move that. Yeah. Mitchell, you were going to say something? Yeah. I just want to remind folks the show workshop that uh, we give you an opportunity to practice being a panelist and a reader and any type of uh, participant, um, it's at 3 p.m. Eastern, 6 uh, Eastern. And we'll be moving the uh, volunteer meeting, uh, but the, we will be replacing that with uh, a lot of coverage. Uh, we are uh, just a, uh, just a, as a reminder, Cinegear will be happening um, this uh, uh, this Friday and Saturday. We're going to be doing all the coverage in after hours for Friday. And then we'll have a show from 11 to 3 p.m. on Saturday. Um, we're also going to have a get-together. So if you're watching this uh, while we get together, um, I'll be putting it, pushing the form up to Discord this morning um, to see if people are interested. But imagine it, it'll be in uh, a, near the Paramount lots. We're not going to announce it in public, but near the Paramount lots is where we're going to uh, do it. And so, um, so we'll be doing that on Thursday evening. So, um, so if you're interested in that, check out Discord and you'll, you'll see a, a link to be able to sign up so we know how many people to get a reservation for. Traveled 105,000 miles in the Tlaloc Traversal. Uh, it's uh, 169,000 kilometers, and that is 834 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours. Makes me want to do these credits in USDZ. 
just for fun. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Like the panel could just become this globe and we'd go inside of it. And, like all the credits would just be around. I think we should just do the text in, 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 with red with red and blue. Like we should just do just do Stereogram. Yes. Stereo. We could just stereo text. That, I think it's the future. Or we can have all the panelists. The new requirement is all the panelists have stereo cameras. I think that would be great. So we're all in 3D. So you can just put your you can put your goggles on, and it's all, it's not just like you see us in our house. You're like in the house. That would be amazing. 3D camera adds a hundred pounds. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>